0: Well, good morning. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I wanna welcome those of you that might be joining us from one of our campuses, maybe somewhere else in the building here in Mount Pleasant, especially those of you that are online. We are glad that you're with us. Today, as you know, on any given weekend, we have every state in the U.S. and over 75 different countries that join us regularly for worship. So because they don't get to see your face or get a hug when they walk in, that's what I was going to say. Let's celebrate them, make sure they know that we're honored and glad that of all the churches in the world, that just blows my mind, 75 countries of all the places they could choose to worship, that you would choose to call Seacoast home. So that's an honor, and we are glad That you are here with us. Throw it in the chat. Let us know if you are online, where you're from. We'd love to connect with you. I'm telling you, this week has highlighted the importance of our online community as we track with what's been going on in the Ukraine. And I want you to know here at the top of the message that one, because of your faithfulness and generosity and giving, we've been able to partner with several local churches there through One Hope, and we gave $25,000, they're gonna be purchasing supplies. We're also resourcing two different churches in Poland and Moldova that have opened up as refugee centers, so if you're questioning, how can I respond, or what can we do, know that through your generosity, we've already done that. And it can be in moments like this where we, that's right, we can celebrate that. That's awesome. It can feel like, man, all I can do is pray that I wanna remind you as a church that prayer is not all we can do. It is the most important thing we can do. All throughout scripture, we saw our God move in power on behalf of individuals like David when he was up against the, the enemy Philistine. We saw him move in power on behalf of nations as they were being chased by Egypt. And make no mistake that as a church, we can wage war. We just don't wage war as the world does. Our weapons are not of this world. The Bible tells us that uh, we fight a battle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms, and that God is with us. He shows up when two or three people gather in His name. How much more so when a church locks arms to take a stand against evil, to pray for humanity, to pray for those that are in need, not just images that we see or news that we would read, but brothers and sisters in Christ that are on the other side of the world. So I want to take just a moment to pray, but before we do that, I wanted to give you a little bit of a visual. Uh, both for this moment in in prayer, but also in the days to come as we pray. I asked our church online pastor, Ryan, I was like, hey, do we have any any people that attend online from the Ukraine? And he looked into it and got back and said, yes, since January 1st, we have 10 people that live in the Ukraine that join us for church online. And I just thought, man, wow, what are the odds of that, that we've got 10 fingers, right? And oftentimes when you pray, it's like you either fold your hands like pleading with God. You can open up your hands in a posture of receiving. Uh, sometimes I've got some stuff to work out with God and I've got my fist clenched, I'm beating on the table working through something. But I just want to invite you to, to bring this close to home. Allow it to be personal that we're not just praying for believers or for humanity, but there are seacoasters, folks that live there that choose to worship with us on any given week. And so as you pray, let it be close to home. Be confident that God can move in power. But let's take just a moment and do that together. God, we just want to, uh, one, thank you for our, our online community and, and just ask God for you to be present with those, those 10 people in particular that are a part of our family. God, we plead On their behalf, that you would protect and provide, that they would know as a church family that we have their back, that we are praying for them. And God, we just cry out to you for humanity, for the innocent, for babies and mothers, for folks that might be fleeing, uh, terrified, for people that are walking through hell on earth, God, that you would be the Prince of Peace, that you would show up to provide, that you would pour out resources, that your church, the global church, would surround them and care for them in this time and that you would take a stand against evil. God, I think about you with the winds and the waves. You can just say the word and bring peace. And so God, we just pray that you would do that, that you would reign, that you would be victorious. You are almighty, you are all powerful and we just ask that you would be so in that situation in this time. God, we also invite you into this space today. I'm thankful that your word does not return void. And so as we get into it today, we ask you to do a work in our hearts. Allow us to come away having encountered you. Allow us to come away changed as well. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, hey, for the last eight weeks, we've been in a series called How to Be Happy, which has been from Matthew Chapter five, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, a series of verses that start off by saying, blessed are the blank in which Jesus would give some kingdom values or principles that most of which aren't desirable on our part, but he showed us the promise and blessing in them and how they just live well, how we can be a people who are happy if we walk them out. And what we're going to do now is continue in the the Sermon on the Mount, which was Jesus' first sermon, his largest sermon. But instead of going verse by verse, we're gonna go section by section. And we've titled this series Jesus on blank because he goes on to talk about a number of different life issues. So we're just gonna fill in that blank each week, he talks about marriage and, and how to handle your anger. Maybe those two things go together. We'll see how that, how that works, but um, our oaths, the law, so many different topics, and we're going to look at portion by portion together. But before we jump into the section that we're going to look at today, I've got a question for you. When was the last time that you had good news to share? Maybe you're a guy in the room, you're a sports fan, and and you got tickets to the big game, whatever that was for you. A buddy called, they had box seats at something, tickets to the Super Bowl, uh, whatever it was, and and you got the ticket, you got the invite. And people were like, hey man, what you doing this weekend? It's like, bro, what am I doing this weekend? Let me tell you what I got. You know, like, (laughs) you're so, you could not wait to share Abel's buddy Ben Crowell spent the night last night and he walked in the house with a Celtics jersey on, which I didn't think much about, but he was like, hey, March 8th, March 8th, Celtics playing the Hornets, we're going to Charlotte. You know, like I'm like, that was awesome. You know, he was fired. He could not wait to tell. Maybe you're a lady in the house and you were doing a little shopping, right? Strolling through up King Street, walking by, and you happened to pass anthropology right at the moment where they were hanging the 50% off-sale items. So I'm like, ah. I'm the first person to see it, you know. Like, it's God, you know. You, you run inside, the racks are full, you get all the things. People are like, oh girl, I love that dress. You're like, let me tell, 50% off, you know. Like, I can't wait to tell you, right. Or maybe you applied to the college and you've been waiting, waiting, waiting every day. You ain't never checked the mail for your parents in your life, Right. <laughs> And now every day it's like, man, it's 3.30, where is he at? You, know, like, you walk out, check the mailbox, the letter comes, you're dropping coupons in the yard, ripping over like, I got in, you know, so excited to tell. Maybe you got the job, you got the promotion, you asked the girl to marry you and she actually said yes, you had people praying because you didn't know, <laughs> like, but she said yes, right? We all know that feeling when you've had great news to share. Well, good news becomes great news when you share it with others, right? Because in the moment that you open the envelope, in the moment that you buy the clothes from the sale or get the tickets, you get this flash in the pan of emotion, like excitement, oh man. But as soon as you share it with others, it's like you get to relive it again. It's partly why those fish stories become so overly exa- exaggerated, right? <laughs> you just get so excited all over again, right? Right? I think they were like 75% off. It's like, no, they were 50. (laughs) like, story can't get there, right? But you relive it. Good news becomes great news as we share it with others. We all know that with the practical things in our lives, and we've experienced that at some point, but the same is true spiritually. Man, as Christ followers, we hold the greatest news of all time. For those of us that have put our faith in him, we didn't just go from a good person to a great person. We went from a dead person, spiritually dead, separated from God in bondage to our sin, to people who have been given new life in Christ, to people who have been set free from addiction, from sin, from bondage, given eternal life in him. I remember the moment that I accepted him my junior year of high school. I'd grown, grown up in church, coming to youth group. I knew so many of the stories about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. And I remember the moment it clicked and I saw and felt and received this gift for the first time, the way it brought tears to my eyes. I remember the coming days, reading his word, how it just came alive to me. Man, as believers, we hold the best news. And I remember times in my life where I was so excited to share it. Like so, there was times where I came on a little strong, You know, (laughs) But oftentimes with our faith, that's how it happens. It's like we either come on way too strong that people are like, bro, ease up on the Jesus stuff, man. Like I remember when Anna Jay first started playing basketball in middle school. She went to carry out, wasn't a Christian school. She was a believer, praying about how to share her faith. She would show up to basketball practice with her Bible, and she, she wanted to sit it on the edge of the court. And so people are getting their balls, their shoes, and they're stepping over this girl's Bible like, what, what in the world is, that? you know, like. <laughs> we can either come on a little strong sometimes, right, or we cannot come on at all. And it's like, I don't know how to bring it up. Like, this is a workplace. This is a basketball team. I'm a believer. I want people to know what I believe. It's the best news but I also don't wanna be a turnoff to them, So we tend to vacillate between these two tensions of coming on too strong or not coming on at all. Well, in the passage that we're gonna look at today, Jesus gives us a vision, a visual of how do we share the good news, the great news with others in a way that it could be received, right? In a way that it would bring about fruit and change in their life. And the passage is found in Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. It says this, you are the salt of the earth, So, this series is called Jesus on Blank. I titled this message Jesus on Salt and Light because that's what he's talked about. And usually we have three points for you, but today I've only got two. I figured Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. Noah called the animals on the boat two by two. So maybe God can work in twos. Are you with me on that? Okay. So, the first point, highly creative based on the passage, just to help you remember it, is this I am the salt. Isn't that creative? <laughs> I thought that would be funny, I won't do that next service, that's fine. <laughs> I wanted to help you remember that. I am the salt. I love the way the message translation kind of paraphrases this verse. It says, let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. Somebody laughed at that, that's not funny. (laughs) That's for real, right? This is a, a purpose clarifying statement. Of the few things that Jesus says you are in scripture, you are a child of God, you are a witness. Not the judge, you are a witness to go and bear witness to the work that God has done in your life. This is one of those phrases, you are the salt. He didn't say, you, you might be the salt. He didn't say, with enough church attendance and Bible reading, I might allow you to become sodium chloride. Like, he, didn't, he didn't say that, right? He said, you are the salt. Imagine that you were in the grocery store after worshiping with us today, and you, you round the corner in your, with your buggy. Have you ever had one of those like head-on collisions almost in the grocery store? Right, You round your corner, and, and you're about to collide with somebody, and you're like, oh, sorry, and they, they're like, hey, I, I recognize you. What, what's your name? And you say, well, I'm Josh Walters, but you would say your name, because it would be weird if you said you were my name. <laughs> say, I'm Josh Walters, and then you reach down into your buggy, and you say, the salt of the earth. <laughs> 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 like, that's how weird this passage feels, doesn't it? Because <laughs> like, we laugh at that. But even trying to envision that as a title, a mantle that you would put on yourself, it's like conceptually, we understand what Jesus was talking about here, but when it comes to living it out, like we just don't really have a vision for what it looks like. But here is one of the few things that he says you are. I'm just like, man, if we're going to be that, if we're going to embody that, if we're going to be effective in sharing the best news in the world with people then we need to get a vision for what does it look like for me to be the salt of the earth? Some of you know that you're salty, but you did not know that you are salt. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) All right. So what does it look like? The best way to answer that is to look at how salt culturally was referenced in scripture. What would have been the context that the people hearing that would have processed Jesus' words? A couple thoughts on how salt was used. The first of which is salt makes things taste good. Can I get an amen? On that, yes, salt makes things taste good. Job 6.6 says, don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? (laughs) That just hurts some of y'all's feelings. (laughs) How many of you like the tasteless white of an egg? Be honest. All right, we'll give you a new one. Don't people complain about unsalted food? Only seacoasters want the tasteless white of an egg. (laughs) It's like, man, yes, we love salted food. I myself, in terms of the tasteless white, I'm an over easy guy. I like the yellow, runny everywhere. It's kinda like breakfast gravy, you know? Even on a cheeseburger. You give me something that, let it run on the bacon. Some of y'all dreaming about lunch and we're still in the message. I'm just giving you a vision, right? That's what Jesus is doing. We're giving you a vision of what it looks like. Well, one of the things that's interesting about salt is that for it to be beneficial, it's gotta be sprinkled over the whole meal or at least a portion of the meal, right? I want you to imagine that you go somewhere and order some french fries. I don't know if you're a waffle fry or a string fry, like what kind of extra crispy fry, what kind of guy or girl you are with that, but you always gotta have ketchup, right? And so normally, I will also get, if I can get a little Texas Pete, I'll create a bowl. Some of y'all just went, mmm, you with me? I know. Get a good old hearty helping there. And I'll make a little bowl in the middle of it, and then I'll get the hot sauce. I didn't bring that for the illustration because it's not part of what I'm talking about, but you know, you fill up the bowl in the middle of the ketchup with the hot sauce, do a little subtle mix. Anyway, that's good. Now, what you've never seen is somebody said, excuse me, waiter, uh, could you get me the salt, right? And then they bring the salt over, and then he's like, yeah, here we go, right? Then they get the ketchup, they get a little hot sauce, the ketchup, then they dip it into salt, yeah. <laughs> it's like, nobody does that, right? Because too much salt would be disgusting. It's got to be sprinkled, seasoned over the whole meal for it to taste good. You would never dip it into a stack of salt. I think that's one of the reasons that people can be so turned off by church. They come into a gathering like this and maybe they've been wounded by the church in the past. You know, it's supposed to be a hospital for the sick. So they come in with hurts, habits, hang-ups, shame, and oftentimes they can come into environments that, that feel stuffy. It feels like a gathering of salt where walls are up and they can't, can't really find their place. In order for salt to be effective, it's got to be sprinkled, seasoned over the whole meal, clumps of it. Ugh, man, you just don't want that. Well, what's interesting in a church our size is that both individually and collectively, God has sprinkled us through every facet, every sector of society. We have people in this church in the highest forms of, of national government, local government. We have Preschool and kindergarten teachers, all the way up to college professors. We've got kids playing rec sports and professional athletes. We've got people in fashion. Individually, it's pretty unlikely that, that any one of us actually changes the world, but collectively, at his, as his church, man, he has sprinkled us all over society that we would make the things of God taste good. That regardless of your background, regardless of your personal experience, that you would interact with any one of us, that you would come into this place in person or join us online and leave these people feeling like, man, there's something about them that's different, something about them that tastes good. So the first thing we see in Scripture and in our own lives is that salt makes things taste good. The second thing we see is that salt purifies. Ezekiel 16, 4 says, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. And I read this and thought, man, one of those things doesn't go with the other. Like, we've had seven babies, and I, I've cut the cord, I've, I've washed the baby, I've wrapped them in cloths, but I've never requested the bougie baby salt scrub, you know? <laughs> hey, before you bring that thing back, could you give her a little, a little salt rub? <laughs> you know, like this is not, well, well, in biblical times... They believed in the the antiseptic quality of salt to kill germs. And so it was common practice, scholars say, across almost every culture for newborns to have a salt scrub to kill any germs or bacteria that might have been on them. Leviticus 2.13 says this, season all of your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offering. Add salt to all of your offerings. So bringing an offering to the Lord was common practice in the Old Testament. And here he was saying, for a grain offering, for a meat offering, any offering that you bring before the Lord needs to be seasoned with salt. It was symbolic of, of your desire to purify the offering. Now what's interesting about that, again, if we are the salt of the earth and salt purifies, the only way that salt could do its job uh, is if it was engaged with the offering, right? Right? You couldn't deliver the meat or deliver the grain and bring a pack of salt, right? It had to be seasoned over them. And the same is true for you and I. As believers, we are called to set the standard of purity in our culture, called to live with and relationship and among people in such a way that they would see the decisions we make, the way that we conduct ourselves in business, the way that we talk to our spouse, right? That that there would be something unique to us that we would set an example for purity. It's one of the things that I love about doing premarital counseling here at Seacoast. Uh, I'll sit down with a couple for the first time, and it's one of the only environments where it's even remotely appropriate to sit down with someone you don't know all that well and as a pastor be like, so are are y'all sleeping together? (laughs) (laughs) And and you wouldn't believe the number of times we're in the same moment. The, The guy says no and the girl says yes. I said, we're gonna talk about communication as well. (laughs) I see what's going on here, right? But for all of us, regardless of where you've been or of what you've done, we have the opportunity today to re-up and say, you know what, as the salt of the earth, I'm gonna set the example for purity. And I love standing with couples, even when the answer had been yes, and they have been, that from that moment on, they sign a purity covenant and say, hey, the reason we're meeting with a pastor instead of the justice of the pieces, We want God's favor and blessing on our marriage. We wanna approach this thing his way. And the invitation is the same for all of us, regardless of what you did last night, of where you've been, or what you've done. His standard, his invitation, is for us to be the salt of the earth, to set an example for purity in our culture. And when we do, it's gonna lead people to ask questions. So number one, salt purifies. Number two, salt preserves. The third thing that we see salt do what in the world? What is my next point? <laughs> we, about to, we about to have church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I see. My pages got out of order. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm about to share my testimony. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Salt makes things taste good. Salt purifies. Thanks for coming. <laughs> number three. <laughs> oh, God. Be with us in Jesus' name. All right, number three. Salt preserves. Salt preserves. Salt makes things taste good. Salt purifies. Salt helps the pastors preach. All right, salt preserves, that's the real point. Second Chronicles 13, five says it this way. Surely you will know, or no, do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? My covenant of salt, if you read through the Old Testament, this language is used multiple times where God establishes a covenant of salt. And scholars believe that is because salt did not rot or decay, And so it was God's way of saying that, hey, I'm gonna be faithful to you. This covenant will not grow old, get bad. I'm not gonna forget about it. It's not gonna go away. Uh, A covenant of salt, you could put salt in water, let the water evaporate, and you would be left with salt crystals. It does not change forms. What is unique to salt, though, is that it can get contaminated. And that's what Jesus meant was, if the salt loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything be thrown out and, and trampled by men, and that word there, flavor. If the salt loses its flavor or saltiness, depending on the translation that you used in the Greek, that word is moraine, and it's where we get the word moron. So, if the salt loses its saltiness, if it becomes foolish, it's worthless in the kingdom. It's no longer good for anything. And so, the question that it laid me led me to think is like, okay, if salt makes things taste good, it purifies, it, it preserves. Like man, if we lose our saltiness, if we if we become foolish, like how do we get it back? How would we even lose it? And the example that came to mind for me was from Genesis chapter 13 of Abram and his nephew Lot. Uh, Lot moved close to Abram. They both had sheep. Their shepherds were arguing. So Abram says, "Hey, we're family, man. Let's not argue. Let's part ways. If you go west, I'll go east. You go east." I'll go west. And what we read of Abram in Genesis chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, it says, Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And so uh, Lot goes and settles near this sinful, wicked place. There comes a point where these four kings kind of pillage Sodom, and this is what we read in chapter 14. It says, four kings... Seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions. And then these are the five words that are concerning for us since he was living in Sodom. At some point over time, he had gone from living outside of the city to living in the city. Now he and his family were living among sinful, evil, wicked people. And when the village, when the city had been plummeted, all of Lot and his possessions had been carried off. We don't know if it was out of convenience or out of comfort or why he chose to live there, but he did, and now he was facing the consequences of that. Well, Abram goes and rescues Lot, brings them back, gets all their stuff. Well, there comes a point where the Lord's anger burned against Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was gonna destroy it, but he sent an angel to Lot to rescue him and his family. And in verse 19, the angel brings him out of the city, and it says, as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. Then in chapter 19, verse 26, we read, But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And I thought about that story in conjunction with Matthew chapter five. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And what we don't know about his wife is we don't know when she lost her saltiness. If she started desiring the things of this world, As she got attracted to the stuff in the city, when she started compromising in her obedience to the Lord. But when the angel told him, don't look back, Lot didn't. And his wife did. At some point, she had lost her saltiness. But the secret for you and I, regardless of where you are in your relationship with God today, the way to regain it is the same way that she did. And ultimately, for her, it was a physical death. But for you and I, if you feel like, man, you've walked with God for a long time, but you don't feel the passion, the salt, the the hunger for him that you once had, and you'd like to regain that, it starts by you returning to him yet again, dying to yourself yet again. We read it this way in Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. It looks as simple as you deciding, God, you know what? I've gone my way. I've done my thing. I've lost some of that hunger and passion for you, and I want it back. Or maybe it's a decision that you're making for the very first time, that as you hear Jesus say, you are the salt of the earth. It's like, yeah, maybe this guy or this girl that I know, they're godly, but not me. I'm a mess. And you need to know the invitation is for you as well. If you look in Matthew chapter four, right before Jesus gives the sermon on the mount, it says that Jesus left Capernaum and went to um, another land so that he could be a light for a people in a dark place. This good news was for Jews and Gentiles. It's for those that are close to God and those that are far from God. It's an invitation for you and I today to respond to him, to die to ourselves yet again that we might live in relationship with him. So if we were to sit down today and I said, hey, how are you doing in this area? Do you feel like you are the salt of the earth? What would you say? I just wanna invite you to remember it's a a mantle, a title he's given you that you might make the things of God taste good, that you would set the example for purity, that you would preserve the Word of God, the will of God, the way of God to those around you. You are the salt. Turn to your neighbor and say, you getting salty with me? (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, you think Pastor Josh knows what his next point is? That was a filibuster, so I could find it, okay? (laughs) So the next point, which is highly creative based on the passage, point number two is I am the light. I am the light. All right, to read it again, Jesus says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Man, I read this verse and I thought, you are the light of the world, and it reminded me of Jesus saying that he is the light of the world, which led me through John chapter 8. I want to share a couple verses with you, the first of which is from John chapter 8 verse 12. It says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Then in John 9, 5, his language changes a little bit as his time is coming. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So as long as I'm here, I am the light. Then in John 12, 35 and 36, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So in the moment that Jesus ascended to the Father, these words he spoke over us became the reality for his listeners and became a reality for you and me, that I am, that you are the light of the world. And from the beginning of Scripture, the beginning of of this book, we see that darkness hovered over the waters of the deep. And the first thing that God did was say, let there be light, and it was good. And from that moment, light was equated with God, with godliness, with things that were good, and darkness was equated with with evil and sin. And the invitation for you and I, with Jesus having ascended to the Father, is that we would be the light in dark places, meaning that if there's any home, any workplace, any basketball team, any place of business that we would choose not to shine, that it would remain in darkness. Right? And you can't get mad at people for deeds done in the dark. If you're sleeping at night and your wife gets up and stubs her toe on the bed and screams and wakes you up, like, you're not gonna get mad at her for waking you up when she she couldn't see what she was doing. It reminds me of Jesus' prayer on the cross when people had just crucified him and beaten him and spit and mocked him. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I read that text thinking, yes, they did. Right? But he knew in the dark. Man, they can't, Be accountable because they're not in the light. They can't see the error of their ways, and God has positioned you and I to be the light in dark places. And man, at times, that can hurt. It can be hard. You can feel lonely. I remember when I accepted Christ my junior year, I was the only believer I knew on the football team, and they were my tribe. Like, I kept going to the parties and doing the things, trying to live different, and felt so out of place because I was the only believer there. And we can say in those moments, like, God, why have you put me here? I don't have any. I, this is hard. How do I do this? But imagine you not being God. Why did you put me here? God's like so that you could be the light, right? And so you hear Jesus say, "I'm the light." Is He like the mag light and I'm the bic light? Like this little light of mine, you know. Like, <laughs> it don't matter how big or small the light is when you're in the dark. It allows you to see. And for each of us today, be certain, he's called you to be the salt of the earth, right? To be sprinkled through every sector of society that people would interact with you and encounter the love of God. But he's called each of us to be the light. To live in such a way, Jesus said, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Oftentimes we can feel like that's translated as saying so that they can hear your eloquent message or so that they can see you not make any mistakes. And that's not what it says. You're gonna mess up big, but the world needs to see you repent, own it, apologize, turn and walk the other way, right? The world needs to see you mess up because they're gonna mess up too. And us choosing to be the light isn't being perfect. It isn't getting it right, but it's choosing to walk in the mantle that God's given us, that I am the salt of the earth, that I am the light of the world. Psalm 34, eight says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm like, man, as that connects with Matthew five, like that's the invitation for us as His church, to be the salt of the earth that people would taste, to be the light of the world, that people would see the goodness of God. And for each of us, good news becomes great news when it's shared, while well, good news becomes old news when it's not. And for each of us, you can rekindle that flame. You can find the light within you. You can be the salt as you're willing to go and live it out, that others might taste and see the goodness of God, that the old news will become fresh to you again. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this text, and I'm just thankful, God, for the calling you have put on my life, on each of our lives, knowing full well the people that we are, how we fail and mess up, that you've called us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And I pray today, God, that that would begin with each of us yet again, some for the first time, others for the hundredth time, encountering your great love for us. You paid a great price on the cross that we might get to represent you on this earth. So God, today, might we encounter your love. Might we come away changed and might we go and walk out being the people you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if you're new here to Seacoast, this is my favorite part of every service. We invite you to consider two questions. God, what are you saying to me, and what am I gonna do about it? Our worship team's gonna come out for two more songs. It'll be just a few minutes. People will start to move around the room, and some folks will go to a cross. You know, one of the reasons that we're not salt of the earth, or one of the reasons we're not light of the world is because we're carrying around some wounds. Maybe you've been been hurt in some way. And it's one of the things that keeps you from sharing your faith or living out your faith. It's this pain that you've been walking in. So maybe your next step today is to go to a cross. You could write that pain on a sheet of paper, whatever it might be, and pin it to the cross. Say, Jesus, I wanna leave this with you. For others, you could go and light a candle. Nothing magical happens when you light a candle. It's just a symbolic way of saying, would the light of God shine in my life? Maybe it's for a loved one that you like, love, or admire, that doesn't share your faith, and you wanna pray that the light of God would shine in their life, that he would use you to do that. We'll have members of our prayer team and elders here at the front of the stage that would love to pray with you and speak God's word over you. or we'll receive communion and give of our offerings generously. There's boxes mounted on the walls by the doors. We'll sing and celebrate an awesome God. So what is he saying to you, and what are you gonna do about it? Let's respond together.